Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. Here I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 181 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Connor Whiteley. And today's episode is on what is enhanced cognitive behavioral therapy. And it is Wednesday, the 7th of December 2022, as I record this. So I'm recording this early, like today, because I want to upload it before the weekend. But just so I have the uh, weekend free. But today's episode is simply brilliant, and the and this is definitely a podcast episode I've been wanting to do quite a while because this is basically how eating disorders are treated. And even though well, I've been really excited about this like, topic, and even though I've been wanting to do it so badly. When it comes to eating disorders, I really have to sort of psych myself up for it. And I have to make sure I'm in a very good mindset before I ever start to look into this topic. So this is just such a great podcast episode that you are just going to love. And I definitely know that I did. And I always tend to find though that even though we all know what CBT is, because we're all psychology students or professionals, it's always really interesting that to see, yeah, like to see how different people have done the different spins on a CBT, yeah, to be able to treat different mental health conditions like even better. So that I think is always really interesting, and that passion and that intrigue really does come through in today's episode. So moving on to the psychology news section. We've read from the British Psychological Society Research Digest, but we aren't reading from this week, for me, last week, a few. We're reading from Digest that came out on the 24th of November 2022. So, the first one is, Norm messages in encourage HR professionals to pay women better. Although the gender pay gap is gradually getting smaller, there are still major disparities in how much men and women are paid. In the UK, women in full-time employment earn 8.3% less than men on average. A lot of psychology research into the gender pay gap has a focus on, on what women themselves can do to improve their chances of fagging and paid well, effectively putting the onus on women to combat a systemic problem. But a new study looks at in a set of those who were actually making hiring and paid decisions, human resources professionals. HR specialists tend to offer male candidates a higher salary than female candidates with the same CV, but when participants were reminded that they had a collective responsibility 
To reduce the gender pay gap, this difference disappeared. So this I think is like quite like good a study though, because I always find research that puts the onus I don't even know how I'm saying that, that word right, sorry. The onus on the victim is quite, like, yes, it's a good research. Yes, we need to understand it. And yes, we need to sort of do the research just so we can empower these people to actually achieve what they want to achieve. That is not a problem in the slightest, I think. But I think that when you only look at what the victim can do, I think that's really bad because you're basically blaming them. And basically though, like, and this is a theme on the throughout tons of different psychology subfields, but you're basically like victim blaming, which is not right. It's not okay. And instead of trying to put the onus on the victims, yeah, so well, we need to sort of look at how do we solve uh, this like, systemic problem. Very important, very good, and let's hope that the gender pay gap does continue to decrease. So, the second one is children's decisions to punish others. Relate to parents' political views. Okay, this should be a good one. When a child sees someone doing something wrong, they will often choose to punish the perpetrator, even if that punishment will have a negative effect for them too. But exactly what motivates this costly punishment isn't clear. Some researchers suggest that kids generally use this form of a punishment to maintain order within their community, whilst others claim that they use it to express hostility towards outsiders. Now, a new study has found a, a, a reason that these seemingly contradictory results. Different kids grow up with their different attitudes towards punishment, which relates to parent political ideology. The team finds that children with more conservative parents more readily punish outgroup members, whilst those with more liberal parents are more willing to punish in-group members. Okay, so this I think is really interesting, not only because I'm quite big on like a politics, even though this week I've been really lacking <laughs> on my like um, coverage of like the news. <laughs> but I always find it quite interesting how our political beliefs, beliefs impact our behaviour and how our behaviour impacts our political beliefs. Because I think it's absolutely fascinating how it's all interconnected. And I think it's even more interesting to see how do these beliefs that the parents have like, affect their parenting decisions and also their children. So this I think is just a really good one though. And to be honest, I don't know what's best. Because there are advantages and there are also disadvantages to punishing outgroup members. And then there's even more advantages and disadvantages about punishing in-group members. 
So, there's definitely not one way that's better or the other here. Um, I think it's um, interesting and definitely something to take note of. So, what the last one is. Elsewhere, things could be better. Imagine if the scientific papers were written with the reader in mind. If authors um, cut out the jargon wrote in clear direct language and even injected some humour and personality into their work. That's exactly what social psychologist Adam Mastroni has done with his latest paper published on his substack. The work itself is fascinating across a series of vast studies. He finds that when we think about how things that could be different, we consistently imagine how things that could be better rather than how could they be worse. But it's also just a, a funny and engaging read. Do check it out. And to be honest, now that I've actually read this, I actually will check it out. Because of what I do with these BPS research digests come into my inbox, I save them. I don't look at them. I might look at the first one. One, well, but it's not actually in that I'll be called the uh, podcast that I actually check out the other headlines. But even then, I only check out the headlines. And then I just have the call to them. So I think this is an absolute brilliant one because this is what I like to do in my books, my blog posts, and all the writing that I do. I like to write, I like to put my own voice in it, I like to put my own personality in it. Because to be honest, that is what makes it fun and that's what keeps it in engaging. Not only for me, but also me as a reader when I'm reading other people's work. Because, I, as I, this article said, um, if I wanted to read a psychology scientific journal paper, I would just like go to the journal. I wouldn't follow a particular author or a particular researcher. But I do, well, when they have like, voice, personality, and they actually write in engaging posts. Well, so that's um, what I do in a my books, and hopefully they are, you find it in the gauging. <laughs> yeah, but his subset I'm definitely checking out. But I also just want to comment on um, what Tia found. I think it's very natural for us to want things to be better. For example, with the cost of living a crisis, I have never go, I have never once gone, or... God, I wish this uh, cost of living crisis uh, could uh, be worse, worse uh, because it's already quite bad as it is, and so I don't see how it could get even worse. Well, to be honest, I do, because I'm a science fiction writer, and that sort of kicked off a, a few um, short stories. But yeah, but naturally, like when I'm talking with like friends, my family, my parents. We always talk about how things that could be better, and that we all discuss like the different policies that like, different political parties have like put forward. So it's definitely an interesting thing, you know, but also a very true finding because none of us want life to get worse. 
we want it to get better. So I really hope that you enjoyed the psychology news section, so let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update, so because this is only ever Wednesday, this is going to be ever a very short personal update, because the only interesting thing that's happened so far like this week was that we went rock climbing yesterday there, but it was me, my um, fun here project supervisor, he's a PhD student, and the other people in my fun here project group, so that was like great fun, tons of like rock climbing, lots of laughs, um, yes, and it was a like, um, great time then, yes, and then I'll be like, went out for a dinner afterwards though, so I definitely do recommend rock climbing or bouldering if you want a like, little fun there, so definitely worth it. And besides from that, there's actually nothing else that's interesting to tell you. And always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment or a show notes at connorwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi wiley. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And you can always leave a comment at the um, Facebook post at Conwiley Psychology Offer. And today's episode has been sponsored by Abnormal Psychology, the causes and treatments for depression, anxiety and more, third edition. Or, if you're listening to this in uh, the future, whatever edition it's currently on. <laughs> because I can definitely see that book growing in the um, future. Definitely not within the next year or two, but definitely after that though. So the reason why this is a, a great sponsor for today's episode is that because uh, cognitive behavioural therapy is exactly what this episode's about. And uh, the uh, good thing about the abnormal psychology book uh, is that there's an entire chapter like dedicated to this uh, great uh, psychological intervention for depression and anxiety and a bunch of other like conditions. Uh, so if you wanted to get a like deeper understanding of the basics of um, CBT, then definitely check it out. But it also contains tons of other great information. For example, the biological, cognitive, and and of the social causes of the oppression, the biological, psychological, and the social treatments for the oppression. But then it also goes into stuff like schizophrenia, anxiety disorder, um, social phobias, and tons of other really fascinating mental health conditions. And as always, all of my books are written in an engaging and in a engaging way. That is abnormal psychology. The Causes and Treatments of Depression, Anxiety and More, third edition. Available from all major ebook retailers, and you can get the paperback and hardback version from Amazon 
local bookstore or your local library if you request it. But if you didn't want to buy a book but you still wanted to give the podcast bit like one time support, then you can have buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. So that's enough for the personal update. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So, moving on to the content part of today's episode. So, we're going to be talking about what is in an enhanced cognitive behavioural therapy. And this is just such a great podcast episode. I really love It's really fun. And I've been wanting to do this for so long. To be honest, I'm a bit surprised that I haven't done it. But as I said in the introduction, when it comes to eating disorders, I really have to be in a good headspace to do it. Which, to be honest, nine times out of ten, I actually am. But it's just the actual writing process. When, because I write these blog posts, I've got to be in such a good mindset that when I actually come to the writing bit, and also the like the according bit too. So let's crack on with it. Introduction to Enhanced Cognitive Behavioural Therapy As many of us know, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, CBT, is a very popular and extremely well-researched psychotherapy is highly effective at treating a wide range of mental health conditions. For example, depression, OCD, and anxiety, amongst a bunch of other conditions, as well as CBT focuses on identifying a client's patterns of thoughts, emotions, and slash all the behaviours that negatively impact and influence their lives. As a result of its effectiveness, CBT has been adapted in to different forms to treat different conditions more effectively, including enhanced CBT or CBTE. Right, that is the focus on treating eating disorders, and that will be the focus of today's episode. What is CBTE? When it comes to treating different eating disorders like anorexia, AN, binge eating disorder, BED, and bulimia nervosa, BN, CBTE is a considered a first-line and evidence-based treatment for these conditions amongst other eating disorders. And even though these conditions present us as current or future psychologists with very different problematic behaviours, they all share the same foundational features at their very core, such as people with anorexia, BED and bulimia, they all often experience extreme concerns with their weight, body shape and slash or find it difficult to cope with negative emotions. These are factors that lead a, a client to overvalue, and I do say in air quotes, um, their body shape and weight and mood intolerance. 
all of which are common attributes to problematic eating behaviours, such as binge eating, purging and food restriction. Therefore, CBTE is a very structured and manualised treatment, like other forms of CBT, that is intended to fit the client like a glove by focusing on creating a personalised map or formulation of the client's eating disorder in order to create a customised plan for addressing the unique patterns and challenges. And personally, this is why I love formulation so much, because it is just so critical and important when it comes to mental health conditions. Because you could honestly have two clients with the exact same um, eating disorder, but you can't treat them the exact same way, because each of them will have their own backgrounds, histories, and social and psychological factors that can be causing the maladaptive coping mechanisms, and that's why creating a life formulation that is personalised to the client is so critical. However, CBTE isn't a first-line approach for adolescents and children with anorexia and, uh, and bulimia. In these cases, it is very common for treatments for, um, for children and the teenagers with eating disorders to incorporate caregivers either as a central part of the treatment or very closely integrated since family-based treatment is a far more common recommendation for younger people presented with disordered eating. What are the four stages of CBTE? In terms of practicalities, there are four stages of CBTE that are done over the course of 20 to 40 weeks using regular outpatient therapy sessions. Normally, not a lot of our clients reach the 40-week mark, since that is only really for clients who will need to restore their weight, like clients with anorexia and ova. As well as CBTE highlights to our clients the importance of starting well and of starting as much momentum at the start of the therapy as they can. So sessions are normally twice a week for the first four to eight weeks, then they drop down to once a week for eight weeks, and then they go to every other week thereafter. And I know that I was surprised when I learned that therapy sessions were twice a week at the start, so I think that other people will be too. Yet there are a range of reasons for, reasons for this but one of them has to be that eating disorders are extremely deadly conditions, as we've spoken about before. Therefore, it is critical to try and put as much momentum in the early parts of the therapy, just to try and give the therapy as much chance as possible of working. Stage 1 of CBTE 
the entire point of that stage one is about understanding and then systematically addressing the factors that to keep the client locked in for eating difficulties. To do this, the therapy would guide the client in establishing a pattern of a consistent as well as regular eating, and the client would learn how to effectively plan ahead and appreciate changes and maintain a predictable routine of eating every few hours. Additionally, this first stage involves a lot of uh, building self-awareness, education and problem-solving for the client to help them avoid known triggers. Then the therapist would expect significant change during this brief first stage of the first four to eight weeks. Stage 2 Secondly, stage 2 is only a session or two, where the client and the therapist lose a progression, collaborate on building a plan for stage 3 and identifies any ongoing stages. Stage 3 Now, where stage 3 occurs during the once-a-week sessions, and they focus on the factors that could be fueling the remaining problematic eating behaviours. These are typically concerns with body shape and, and weight. Also, a lot of attention at this stage is focused on forms of over-control of, of food. Like uh, the type of foods that the client continues to avoid, the restrictions of the overall food intake are more. Overall, stage 3 focuses on the mood and event-related triggers of a client's disordered eating. Stage 4 Finally, the fourth and the final stage focuses on the therapist and the client looking ahead to the future and life after CBTE. Therefore, the client learns about consistency mindfulness and how to engage strategies to reduce the vulnerability of them relapsing in the future. Barriers to treatment and barriers to CBTE. I always like to offset therapy-based podcast episodes by highlighting the immense problems that some amazing future clients have when it comes to accessing therapy. I mainly do this because I want to help raise awareness so hopefully these barriers can be ripped down in the future and yes sometimes I really am that much of an optimist. It doesn't happen that often <laughs> but um, I would like to hope that someone does help rip down these barriers in the future. When it comes to CBTE, there are a number of there are a number of barriers that prove very problematic for people because CBTE is very expensive and it isn't accessible to a lot of people, especially in countries like the USA, where they don't have free healthcare 
as well as from what I've read, read it seems to be difficult to find CBTE providers that accept commercial insurance or Medicaid. And I think that's the US government system. I'm not sure on that. Additionally, and uh, please note, this is absolutely not an official recommendation from me in any way, shape or form, but I have seen a few experts recommend the book Overcoming Binge Eating by Christopher Fairburn by saying that his self-help guide guide that can be used as an effective course for BED and sometimes bulimia, as well as it could be more effective if there was a external support available as a supplement. Again, not a recommendation from me. Thankfully, there are some specialised e- um, eating disorder training and research centres that offer CBTE at a reduced rate or even free in exchange for participating in research studies. And that is just brilliant in my opinion. But it's still a major problem that we sort of have to consider that as, as an option to get treatment. Because that's wrong in my opinion. Conclusion I will never deny that eating disorders are extremely deadly mental health conditions, and treating other people with these conditions is beyond a critical. I know what I occasionally mention about psychotherapy like saves lives, but in this case I truly, truly mean it. And as the current or future psychologist, we need to acknowledge that what we do has amazing power and is a force of good for people and their lives. So just remember that when you're down or you're having a rough time, because you truly never know what positive impact you'll have on someone in the darkest hour. So personally, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. As I've said before, even though I, even though I love the topic and I love CBT, clinical psychology, and anything like this, when it comes to eating disorders, even though I've never been officially diagnosed, this is still a very hard topic for me. Like I was reading this and my stomach was hurting. Yeah, and my body had a few weird reactions to this podcast episode. Like, I came over really hot at one bit when I was reading it. So, yeah, so, um, I do love this podcast episode. I hope you did too. And if you know someone who enjoyed today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really, really grateful when you wonderful people help us spread the word to about the podcast and definitely check out Abnormal Psychology The Causes and Treatments for Depression, Anxiety and Warm Fetidism available in all visual places but if you didn't want to buy a, buy a book but you still wanted to give the podcast a bit of like one time support then you can now buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Connor Wiley 
So have a great day everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. And if you want a free Ada book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.